Well, Summit Bible Church, today's a big day. We are going to finish the book of Ephesians. Oh, that's the godly answer, Terry. Of course, yeah, we are, we are, we are excited. It's a bittersweet thing to end a book because there's so much good in it. You can't get to the depths of all of God's Word, but we also have the excitement of going to another book of the Bible, exploring the rest of God's Scripture together. And so it's going to be a good Sunday. And we, we end this book of Ephesians, or Paul ends it rather, with a benediction. A benediction. What do you know about benedictions? Well, traditionally in the church, pastors would end the worship service with a benediction, a formal word. Now, what is a benediction? It's a, it's a pronouncement of blessing upon God's people. In Latin, it literally means a good word. So it's a good word for God's people. And there are a lot of benedictions in the scriptures. We, we have really simple and short ones, like that of 1 Thessalonians 5.28. It says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then you have longer ones like that in Hebrews 13. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we have something in between those two in length at the end of the book of Ephesians. But benedictions didn't just start with the New Testament church. We have a, an Old Testament benediction given from the Lord to Aaron in Numbers. You have that Numbers passage, Numbers 6, 22 to 27 on your outline there. Take a look at this benediction from the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, thus saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put My name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. See, it is important to the Lord that His people are reminded of their spiritual blessings. It is good to know God. And those of us who are saved, His people, whether you have Old Testament Israel, New Testament church, it is good, it is blessed to be saved by God. And, and God wants to remind us of those blessings of salvation it's easy to forget sometimes how blessed we are because we often look at circumstances around us if we're going through trouble if we're going through a trial or even persecution we can forget or even begin to doubt the blessing of God in our life we forget that God is generous that God is good that God is faithful to us so we need to be reminded of these things that we have in our salvation. You know, the enemy could strip everything from you. He could take everything. 
but He cannot take these rich blessings of your salvation. He cannot take your peace. He cannot take your love. He cannot take your faith. He cannot take the grace of God. These are rich, rich blessings that we see here in this passage. And you know, closing greetings, sometimes they're overlooked. It's, you know, one of those sections in your Bible, maybe you read through quickly with excitement, trying to get on to the next book, like I said, or you feel like, man, there's not really much here. These are just formalities. And so sometimes we, we skip over these conclusions and we miss the riches within them. I had a professor in college who made it a point to emphasize that he was ending his lecture. So he would say things like, in conclusion, and then, you know, continue. And he would say maybe, considering we only have a couple minutes left, and then he would continue. Or he would say something like, well, before I let you go, let me just say, and like clockwork, what did you think the students did when he said those things? We start packing away. Packing up our notebooks, packing up our pens, and hardly paying attention to his concluding remarks. Well, unfortunately for us, when the first test came, we realized almost all the answers, almost all the answers to the test were in the professor's concluding remarks. And we missed it. Some of the Bible church, I don't want you to miss the riches in these concluding remarks. These are not something to just pass over quickly, but there's rich blessing in here for us. And so we need this this morning. I I split this uh, ending section into two parts. First, we'll see the blessing of friendship, and then we'll see the blessing of salvation. So let me uh, read the section, and then I'll pray, and then we'll continue. Ephesians 6, verses 21 to 24. Says, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work through your word, Holy Spirit, to apply these blessings in our lives. That we would be mindful of them as we live out our days and our, our, our weeks and our hours, our minutes even. To remember that these blessings have been lavished, richly poured out upon our lives. And we need to hold on to these things as we live the Christian life. To remember how rich, how rich peace is in Christ. How how rich the love is in Christ. How rich our faith is in Christ. And how rich the grace is in the Lord Jesus. Help us to apply these things to our life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first section here deals with a close friend of Paul's, Tychicus. Now I'm saying it, just know I've practiced this word so many darn times before I came here today. Because I know you Greek nerds out there are going to correct me. But Tychicus, it's actually an Omicron Sigma at the end of his name. So in the English you see a us, us sound. I'm doing sounds with Joelle, she's in kindergarten. Uh, uh, 
short U, right? But actually in the Greek, it's a O, Os, Tikikos, okay? So anyways, but we see a close friend of Paul. He's a ministry partner, and we can learn from him. The mention of him actually functions kind of like a signature that validates the letter. Remember, this is before email. This is before even the postal service. So letters were hand-delivered by trusted carriers. It's important that the person is trusted because letters could be easily uh, forged. You could send a letter on behalf of Paul, right, and sign his name on it, and maybe the recipients would never know. But if, if the letter came with a trusted friend, okay, then this letter is valid. It truly is from the apostle. But Tychicus, his purpose was not only to hand deliver the letter, but to encourage the saints. Do you see that in the text? He said, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So obviously Tychicus didn't just hand them the letter and bounce. He stayed to encourage them as a beloved brother and faithful minister. Now you think about being the Ephesians, undoubtedly they are concerned about Paul's status. Remember, Paul's in prison, likely in Rome, awaiting trial. And the presence of Tychicus would provide great comfort to them. And he could answer questions in person about how Paul's really doing. I think about it this way. When a loved one is sent into intensive surgery, you see the family and friends waiting in the waiting room, anxiously waiting for the surgery results. And who do they look to hear from? Who do they want to hear from post-op? They want to hear from the surgeon, don't they? Because, well, the patient's probably still lying there on the table, but the surgeon is the closest, next best thing to tell them how the patient's really doing. Similarly, Tychicus, this close friend of Paul, can be a sounding board and, and respond to the Ephesians' concerns, and he can comfort them and tell them how Paul's really doing. But these verses offer us more insight than just a simple signature or a means of encouragement for the Ephesians. Paul provides two qualifications of Tychicus that proved him to be a good and trustworthy friend. Do you see that in the text? Two qualifications or two attributes of Tychicus. He was first the beloved brother and second a faithful minister. So Tychicus was both family and faithful. Family and faithful. Notice he was called a beloved brother in the Lord. Now he was not Paul's biological brother. In fact, he was a Gentile and Paul was a a Jew, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Tychicus was actually a New Testament Asian, which is uh, the area is kind of modern day Turkey. And so you have the two churches, Ephesus and Colossae, in that area of what was Asia Minor in the New Testament. We see his name come up first in Acts 20, and and, uh, the author writes, Luke writes, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. So Paul calls this Asian Gentile a brother in the Lord. And that's significant. We don't want to just read past that. 
Because what has to happen for a Gentile Asian to become a brother, or for Paul, a Jew, to call him a brother? Well, we have to remember what Ephesians 2 taught us. Do you remember? That the separation, the division between Jew and Gentile, it was so severe. They were separated in worship of God. There was animosity between the two ethnicities. And what was it that unified Jew and Gentile? It was the peace of Christ. It was the work of Christ. The blood, in fact, that reconciled the two together so that the two can not only be friends, the two can not just get along in church, but the two are actually family. They're fellow members of the household of God. So whatever your color, whatever your background, whatever your language, whatever your culture, in the Lord, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. Let me ask you, can you say with sincerity that the people sitting around you here at Summit Bible Church are beloved brothers and sisters? Do you trust them like you do family? Do you care for them like you do family? Do you serve them like you do family? Do you pray for them like you do family? Are you loyal to them like you're loyal to family? I think it's interesting to note, you know, the Apostle Paul was never married, so it might have been different if he had a spouse, but it's interesting to note that at the end of his life, who did Paul have around him? Not biological family, but brothers in the Lord. Men like Tychicus, a Gentile. An Asian brother who was faithful to him to the very end. Do you have that kind of relationship with your fellow church members? He was not only family, but he was found faithful. This is amazing. Tychicus, you could argue, was Paul's most trustworthy carrier. In fact, we believe him to be the carrier of at least five of Paul's letters. So you have the letter to Colossians, to Philemon, Ephesians, 2 Timothy, and Titus. He was likely the carrier of those five letters and could have been the carrier of more. We see that he was probably the man that subbed in for both Timothy and Titus because Paul sends Tychicus and then says, hey, Timothy and Titus, would you come to me? And so it's likely that Tychicus actually stayed there and pastored the church while Timothy and Titus came to Paul. We see Evidence of that in 2 Timothy 4.12 and, and Titus 3.12. Tychicus joined Paul in Ephesus after the riots, and it seems as though he was useful to him to the very end. We see him mentioned in Paul's last letter in 2 Timothy, still being used and faithful in ministry. And surely his job was not easy. I mean, just imagine traveling with Paul. That's not the, the most ideal uh, friend group to be with during that time. There was persecution that he probably endured alongside Paul. He was probably in that shipwreck as well. He was, he was involved in, in traveling with Paul and, and probably experienced a lot of the hardship that Paul experienced. And then think about traveling those same miles backwards to carry letters that is not an easy journey. We're talking hundreds of miles on foot. And then, on top of that, subbing in for guys like Timothy and Titus, pastoring a church. There's hardship that comes along with that. And you might note, there's not an epistle designated to Tychicus. Uh, he didn't receive a lot of limelight for his faithfulness. But he still was faithful. 
He fulfilled his ministry. He did his job. He did so, he did so willingly to the Lord and for the sake of his friend. Let me ask you, are you faithful in ministry? Would the people around you describe you as faithful? Oh yes, that individual, they are reliable. They're trustworthy. Whatever they are asked to do, they do it with a full heart, no matter how difficult the job. Or whenever there's an opportunity to serve, man, they jump right in. They're involved. They see the job through all the way to the finish. Undoubtedly, Tychicus did. He's the reason that we hold the Scriptures. I think about the parable of the talents when I think about faithfulness. The way it illustrates our standing before God on on Judgment Day, each servant receives a variety of measures of talents that they are to use and invest in on behalf of their master. And so the ones who went out and invested their talents and brought back the interest, the profit, They were received by the master who said what? The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. You know, this is an illustration of us one day standing before our heavenly master. And he will ask us, so the question is, how did you use your gifts? How did you use your talents? How did you use the time and the resources that you were given by God? He's given each of us a variety of measures, different talents. Were you faithful? Were you faithful with the talents that God has given you? That's who we want to be. We want to be like Tychicus. We want to be faithful in the ministry. And so just... Learning from Tychicus in this brief section here, we see two attributes of a trustworthy friend. We see first he was family, considering each other brothers and sisters in Christ, and then he was faithful, faithful in ministry. Two things we can learn from his life, his legacy. Okay, let's go to the second section of this passage, the blessing of salvation. The blessing of salvation. This is the benediction part. And we see four blessings for brothers and sisters in salvation. And it's interesting to note you see all of these blessings as a, as a major theme, kind of a headline in the book of Ephesians. So it's appropriate that Paul closes with them. The first blessing for those who are saved by God is peace. Peace. You see there at the top of the text, verse 23, peace be to the brothers. By the way, just a note, that word translated brothers could be translated brothers and sisters. This is both for male and female. Okay? Don't want to leave the ladies out of this blessing. Peace. You know, the world has crazy ideas for what peace is and how it can be obtained. Ralph Waldo Emerson writes, Nobody can bring you peace but yourself. Mother Teresa writes, Peace begins with a smile. Marcus Cicero writes, Peace is liberty in tranquility. What does that even mean? <laughs> Lyndon B. Johnson writes, Peace is a journey of a thousand miles and must be taken one step at a time. That's nice. Albert Einstein writes, peace can be achieved through understanding. 
And then, of course, Jimi Hendrix writes, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, then peace will come to the world. So that's what the world thinks about peace and how peace can be achieved. It's kind of this ideal virtue that everybody is searching for these days. But we understand as Christians that true peace only comes in Christ. Without Christ, no peace. In Christ, true and everlasting peace. Do you remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14? In fact, why don't you turn back there just a few pages in your Bible. I want to see it out of the text here. Look at verse 13. Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our what? Peace. Jesus alone closes the gap. Jesus alone conquers the great divide. Remember that the biggest issue of division in our life is not that between ethnicities. The biggest issue of division in our life is not the political division. The biggest issue of division in our life is the division between God and man. And there's only one who can close that gap, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He did so by His perfect sacrifice. He made peace between us and God. We were separated from Him. We were alienated from Him. We were strangers to Him. We were enemies. We were dead. But Jesus Christ made peace and He reconciled. He restored our broken relationship with God. And He did so by, again, becoming a man, living the perfect life we couldn't live. He, he died on the cross, bearing the punishment for our sins, appeasing the wrath of God, and He rose again from the dead, granting to us new life. This is good news, Christian. The Gospel of peace should bring a measurable blessing to you in your life to remember that you are at peace with God. And nobody can take that away. See, only the Christian can say that peace is in his heart or peace is in her heart, an everlasting peace. And it's peace from Jesus. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Christian, although you know, there's so much division around you, there's rumors of wars, impending persecution, hardship, remember that you are at peace with God through the blood of Christ and let His peace comfort your heart. So peace is the first blessing we see in this benediction. Peace be to the brothers. The second is love. Love. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love. Remember that God's love is also unlike the world's love. It's different. The world's love is, is selfish and self-seeking, self-preserving. The motto from the world is learn to love yourself before you can love anybody else. You've heard that? That's exactly what God's love is not. See, God's love is selfless, giving, sacrificial. 
Romans 5.8, God shows His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, He died for us. 1 John 4.10, and this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Remember Ephesians 5.2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. So we see that God displays His love in sacrifice in giving, in sending, selfless. Remember, too, that God's love is unmerited. It's undeserved. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. This is a prominent theme in the book of Ephesians. God's unmerited, undeserved love. Ephesians 1, verse 4. Even... As he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. When did God set his love upon you, Christian? Before you were even born, before the world was even created. Talk about unconditional love. What could you do to earn God's love before you were born or before the world was created? Nothing. And why did He do it? Why did He set His love upon you? We are given the reason in verse 5, and it's not complex. Because He wanted to. That's it. It was according to the purpose of His will. God loved you simply because He wanted to. And he decided so before the foundation of the world. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 4. Here's another display of God's love that's unmerited. It's undeserved. It's different than the world's love. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ By grace you have been saved. Not only, Christian, is it unmerited love, but it is love despite demerit. That is, it is exactly the opposite of what we deserve. We deserve judgment. We deserve wrath for our sins. We deserve condemnation. Yet God, in a divine paradox, set His love upon us with a love that surpasses all understanding. Ephesians 3.19 Brother and sister in Christ, you are loved by God beyond even your mind's comprehension. And that should encourage you. That should encourage you. That is a love that no one can take away. I remember dealing with a Dealing is hard, harsh word, but I remember discipling a, a student uh, through depression. And this student had even attempted suicide. This was back in my youth ministry days. And so I'm meeting with the student, and I'm trying to convince him that he's loved. That he's loved. He's loved by God. He's loved by his family. And so I just asked him, I said, you know, who loves you? Who loves you? Who has shown their love to you? And I'm expecting him to say, you know what, my parents, because they have. In fact, his mother was the one who called me and set up the appointment. She was concerned about her son. I'm expecting him to say, you know, brothers and sisters, or at least say God. God loves me. Everybody knows that, right? 
He said, nobody loves me. I said, that's not true. He said, nope, nobody loves me. I said, what about God? He said, oh yeah, he does, but nobody else. I said, nobody else matters. Nobody else matters. If God loves you, that's all you need. All you need is the love of God. Of course, if he experiences the love of God and is involved in church, he'll see that there are so many more people that love him outside of God, but he needed to understand that the love of God was enough, enough for him to live on, enough for him to not take his own life. Christian, maybe you need to hear today that God loves you and no one can take that away from you, Christian. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. You need to be reminded of this section of Scripture. Romans 8, verse 31 through 39. This is for those who are in Christ, those whom He foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Just the verses before, 29 and 30. This is for His elect, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who can condemn them? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecutions, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we, have, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, are you secure in the love of God? Do you find encouragement and comfort to know that God loves you and no one can separate you from His love? Trust in His promise today. The third blessing we see in this passage is faith. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. We're reminded that all of these blessings come to us from God. These are not things that we earn or things that you know, we deserve, but it comes as a gracious gift from God. You see, it's from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is, love is, faith is, and grace is. But we see that faith is a gift from God. It's an incredibly rich blessing for those who are saved. They have received faith. Remember Ephesians 2? By grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Remember what faith is? Faith is, we talked about it a couple weeks ago in the shield of faith. Faith is total trust in that which is unseen. For us, true saving faith is 
total trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's the object of our faith. Our whole being rests upon Him. You know, everybody has a form of faith. Everybody has a form of faith. No matter your philosophy, no matter your religion or your science, everybody has a form of faith. It's interesting watching the debates on YouTube between Ken Ham, who's a famous creationist, Answers in Genesis, uh, the Creation Museum, and then you also have Bill Nye, who's an atheist, renowned scientist. So you see them debate each other, and Ken Ham the whole time is trying to convince Bill that at the end of the day, he is exercising faith. Because, you know, Bill states some scientific fact, and Ken Ham goes, how do you know? He goes, well, based on the science. He goes, but were you there? No. Was anybody there? No. To see the Big Bang, to see the cosmos come together? He goes, no, but based on the science. So Ken goes, well, at least you have to admit that your theory when you take it to its end, is faith. You're trusting in something you have not seen. Even your science can't take you back to the very day or the hour that this happened. And Bill goes, well, yeah, but... And he goes, well, that's it then. Both of us have faith. At the end of the day, we're trusting in something, a theory or a belief for us as Christians. We have a more sure faith. We have a sure faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because while scientists today trust in theories and technologies that maybe they have been developed over decades, we have a word from God that has stood the test of millennia. And this word from God points us to the person of Christ who really lived, who really died, and by empirical evidence rose from the grave. So we can trust and believe in Him. We have faith. We have a sure faith, Christian. Number four, grace. Last but not least in this benediction, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Grace is undeserved favor. It's undeserved kindness. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Remember in this text, we were told, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. God is not poor on grace. It's not a leaky faucet that some of us you know, catch a drop. God's grace is rich and pours out. In fact, it's immeasurable. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Do you remember this text? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of His grace. It is like an open dam. The flood flows upon our lives. The grace of God saturates and soaks our hearts as Christians. So much so that it causes us to be gracious towards others. To show the undeserved favor and kindness towards our fellow man. I don't know if you've heard the story of Dirk Willems. Dirk Willems was an Anabaptist in Holland who deviated from the false teachings of the state religion. This was a long time ago. He was holding secret church meetings in his house, teaching the Bible, a salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Well, a bounty hunter was hired by the state to capture Dirk 
and turn him into the authorities for execution. The story goes that Dirk Willems was running from the bounty hunter across a frozen river in the winter. Dirk Willems made it safely to the other side, but he heard a loud crash behind him. He looked back to see his pursuer, the bounty hunter, had fallen through the ice. Instead of hurrying off to safety, made his escape, Dirk Willems actually turned around and helped that bounty hunter out of the water. Now, when the bounty hunter was out, he had saved him. The bounty hunter grabbed him, you know, cuffed him or, or wrapped him and tied him. And bound by his contract, he turned him into the local authorities. So Dirk Willems was executed. He was burnt at the stake <laughs> for an act of kindness, like saving his pursuer. That doesn't make sense to the world. The world goes, hey, you got a break. Get out of here. <laughs> you know, take those opportunities. Lucky break. Or justice. You know, you didn't deserve to be captured or burnt alive for a different religion or teaching a different doctrine. That doesn't make sense. That is unfair, the world would say. That's a Christian. That's the Christian life. Christian life is unfair. We have been unfairly treated. If you're a Christian, you've been treated unfairly. In fact, you should take this case to the court. You should take your case to the court because you've been treated unfairly, Christian. You have been shown grace. You've been shown love immeasurable. You've been relieved of your crime or the punishment of your crime. Jesus Christ, your advocate, stood in your place took the punishment on your behalf. And the judge, instead of putting the gavel down and saying guilty, the judge says innocent. That's unfair. And then the Christian who has been so loved by God, who has been experienced that peace, immeasurable, that faith, the grace, we turn around and show that to other people. It's a paradox. The world doesn't understand it. But this is, this is the Christian life. These are the blessings that flow into the Christian life and that should flow out of us. So not only are they reminders that we have peace with God, that we've been loved by God unconditionally, that we have a faith, a trust in God, we've been shown grace, they're reminders also of those essential fruits that should characterize our life. We should be those that are making peace with others as far as it depends on us. We should be those who love unconditionally. Others. We should be those who show extraordinary faith through difficult circumstances. We should be those who are gracious, who show undeserved favor and kindness towards our fellow man. Four blessings, I argue, that distinguish the Christian from the rest of the world. Peace, love, faith, and grace. Four virtues that should mark our life, that should mark our walk, our words, our thoughts, Remember Ephesians 4.1, the theme of the book, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Well, you've been called by grace. You've been called by a gift of faith. You've been called an extraordinary love. You've been called by an incredible act of peace between you and God. So live worthy of that calling and live these things out in your life. Now there's something in that last sentence I don't want to skip, and this will conclude our message. 
Remember, the answer is in the conclusion. It's an incredible insight. If you, would, if you could crack open the chest of a Christian, I imagine a heart surgeon leaning over the table seeing you know, the Christian cracked open. You see the pumping heart. Doom, 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 doom. The blood flowing through the veins and arteries. And you ask yourself, what makes this thing pump? What makes this thing pump? What's making this thing work? What's the blood, the substance that is keeping this thing going? The answer is in verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. If you're able to crack open the heart of a Christian and see what drives him or her, what motivates her or him, it is the love of Christ. A Christian loves Jesus. That's at the end of the day what a Christian is. A Christian has been loved by Christ and loves Him back. It's just simple. It's the relationship of the Christian life. One that is tethered together by love. One that is fueled and motivated by love. One that is made alive and kept alive by love. And so that's it. If you are here today and you don't love Jesus, then you're not a Christian. But if you're here today, maybe struggling, doubting your salvation, need assurance, ask yourself this question. Do you love Jesus Christ? Is the love of Christ in you? Evaluate your faith. Evaluate your life. Make sure that you truly do love him and that you're in the love of Christ and that you've received these blessings. If you're unsure, you don't know, or you need clarifications, or maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I want those blessings. I know I don't have them. I'm not at peace. I don't have that kind of faith. And you need to talk to us after service. At the very least, fill out a connection card and drop it in the box, and we'll contact you and get back to you to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you can be sure that you know that you have a relationship with him. Well, I look forward to the series to come. Um, we're going to take a short break in uh, preaching uh, expositionally and systematically. We're going to do a topical series called Doomsday Preppers. We're going to get ready for these signs of the end that we're seeing all around us. So just two weeks there. And then we're going to go to the book of Jonah to look at the Old Testament, a great story of God saving uh, sinners, and then we're going to go back to the New Testament after that in the book of Matthew. So I'm really excited for these weeks to come. Let me close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your graciousness, your love, the peace that we have in you, and the faith that you've gifted to us. I pray that you would strengthen us this week with these blessings, that they would not just be things that we rationally assent to. Oh, of course, I'm at peace with God. Oh, of course, I've, the grace of God has been bestowed on my life. Of course, I have the love of God. Lord, but we would actually apply these in our life and that we would, these would be markers of our lives. We would be people of peace, people of love, people of faith, and people of grace. Help us, Lord, in, in what only you can do, which is to change hearts and work through our lives to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and, stand our, and sing our closing song.